We continue our series this morning uh, where we're going through various topics in the Bible and addressing them from a biblical perspective. Uh, these first few topics have been topics that you selected, all right? And so uh, the, the number one topic was a tie between um, spiritual warfare and depression and anxiety. And so we've tackled spiritual warfare for a week and then we looked at anxiety last week and we're, we're splitting them off. We're doing depression this week. And many times when it comes to a topic like depression, uh, we have a tendency to take something like this and we think about it in, it, like we kind of put it over in a category, in a box. Um, maybe that it's medical or that it's this or that it's that. And uh, it's only that or that it's not something Christians struggle with because we have the joy of the Lord. So we're, we're not supposed to be sad or whatever that may be. And we kind of put it over here in a box. And while as believers in Christ, if you're a believer this morning, we certainly have the joy of the Lord, but we also live in a very fallen world. And I don't know if you've noticed, this isn't heaven and you're not perfect. And so we, we still wrestle and struggle with a myriad of ways because of the fall. And while at times, because of the complexity of this issue, we might shy away from addressing it, God doesn't. Uh, the Bible is raw truth, right? Yeah, I mean, it just lays things. The Bible is a very honest book. And when you look, especially in the Old Testament, you see um, people of God, even very godly people that God used to do great things, battle at times these bouts with depression, okay? So raw truth we've got here, not some domesticated pep talk. The, God, the, the Bible is very candid about these things, and so it's relevant. There's really, when we think about a topic like this, when we say, well, what will God's word have to say to it? We have to keep in mind, there is nothing more relevant for our lives than God's word, okay? You can't get more relevant than thus saith the Lord in the King James, right? So you can't get more relevant than that. So if, if God has direction for us here, something to teach us here from scripture, that is the most important thing that we can look to. Uh, although there's obviously other ways that we can learn uh, about a topic like this one. So in 1 Kings, we're going to see it from the life of Elijah is where we're gonna be looking at this topic. And he's one of the great prophets of God from the Old Testament. And he's gonna have this bout with depression late in his ministry. And we're going to see what we can learn about depression from him. Obviously, we're not going to say everything that can be said about depression this morning. Uh, we are going to say what I believe we can say from this. And I think it's a, a lot that, uh, that, that, that is in this text for us to, to kind of chew on and think about as we see him struggle with this depression and as we see how God ministered to him, how God ministered him to him in the midst of his depression. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got a Bible or a device, 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And uh, we're going to start here. We're going to read, uh, uh, I guess, like the first 10 verses. And we'll, we'll, we'll stop there and we'll read the rest later on. So look with me. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets, that's the prophets of Baal, with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I, not, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Translation, I'm going to kill you. Verse 3, then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. 
And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Well, what's going on here in this story? What's the context? We have to discover that anytime we kind of jump in in the middle of a book like 1 Kings. So Elijah is the prophet of God at this time. And his name, Elijah, means the Lord is God or Yahweh is God. The Lord, he is God. And that's very significant when you look at Elijah's ministry because his name is also sort of his ministry. You see that a lot in the Old Testament. And so he was... He was prophet at a time when there was a lot of idolatry going on in Israel. And so he was the guy standing up saying, hey, the Lord, he is God. Not Baal, that was a, a false god, a false idol of that day. Or not any of these other gods that you're making sacrifices to. The gods of the nations around you that you keep giving yourself to. It's the Lord, he is God. That's what Elijah means and that's how he spent his ministry. And there was a particular king that came to power while he was prophet. And that king's name is Ahab. The Bible tells us Ahab was more wicked than any other king before him. He was just a bad guy. And on top of that, he married a bad lady. Okay, and so he married a lady named Jezebel. And she was a worshiper of Baal, not a worshiper of Yahweh. She believed, she believed in Baal as God. And so she worshiped this false god named Baal. And she was very persuasive. And she helped lead because of Ahab's weak leadership and his ungodliness and wickedness. The two of them together, they helped lead Israel towards this worship of Baal. And so Elijah comes along and he goes to Ahab and he says, here's the deal. It's not going to rain. There's going to be a famine in the land. I say now, it's not going to rain until I say it rains again. And a drought comes, no rain, famine in the land. People are starving, all that. As God is judging, he's disciplining his people here and trying to show them. He's setting up the, the table to show who the real God is. And then finally, I think it's about three years that goes by. He goes back and he sends word to Ahab. He says, hey, I want you to gather all your prophets of Baal. And I want you to meet with me over on Mount Carmel. And we're going to find out who's God. And he stands up and he says, listen, everybody. He gets everybody together and they've got all their false prophets. And he's there. People of Israel, everybody's gathered around, right? It's a big scene. And he goes, okay, today we're going to find out who God is. The God who sends fire from heaven is the real God. So y'all go first. Okay, y'all call and ask God, here's God, Baal, to send fire down from heaven. If he does, he's God. You got to choose today whom you're going to worship. And if it's Baal, worship him if he's God. But if Yahweh's God, you need, to, you need to get serious about worshiping Yahweh. So they gather around, man, and they're, and they're calling and they're crying out for fire to come down from heaven and nothing happens. And Elijah has fun with it. He's kind of mocking them a little bit. He says, maybe, he had, maybe Baal had to go to the bathroom. Maybe you need a restroom, but just knock on the door a little harder. Maybe you can get him. To, and he's just kind of having fun with it, right? And then he goes over when they're done and exhausted. And he takes over, goes over to the altar and he drenches the altar where they're asking fire to come down. He drenches it in water just to show off, right? He just pours water all over it. He prays and he asks God to send fire from heaven. And fire pours down from heaven in such a way that it just dries everything up. The water's gone, burns everything up. And the people of God are just like, <gasps> and they fall down and they worship. Yahweh is God. And then Elijah says, all right, time to kill all the prophets of Baal. That's the way they did things in the Old Testament, right? And he just slaughter. 
Then he goes over here and he gets down on his knees and he begs and he prays and he prays and he prays for God to bring rain back. And he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays and then all of a sudden a downpour happens and man, God just sends a, a flood to drench the land. It just pours rain. So he's excited, right? And then word gets to Jezebel and that's where we picked up in chapter 19 and she finds out what's happened. And she says, sends her messenger to Elijah and you say, you tell him just like I killed, see, she had already had a bunch of prophets of God killed before all this. We kind of skipped that part. She's already had a bunch of prophets of God killed. She goes, I've done this before. I've got a successful track record in taking guys like you out. And so I'm going to make you like you made my prophets. I'm going to kill you. Now, this is a guy that's, that's called fire down from heaven. God's answered his prayers in that kind of a way. And, man, he, he runs away. Find, we find him sleeping under a broom tree asking for God to take his life. Everything changes. Because he flees in terror. And the interesting thing is the end of chapter 18, 18 verse 46 says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. That's how it sums up chapter 18 when you see all that's happened. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Then you get over to chapter 19, a few verses later, and man, he's, he's down. His low, by the way, comes after a high. See that in Jonah's life too, what should have been a spiritual high for him. He ends up depressed under a, under a, a plant as well. And many times that's the way it happens emotionally for us anyway. We kind of ride this roller coaster and what goes up must come down. And sometimes after emotional high, there is an emotional low. But there's something more than emotion going here. There's spiritual things going on in Elijah's life. And so what can we learn this morning about depression and especially spiritual depression from Elijah? Here's three things that we learn. First thing I, I see here is, as I look at this, the first big observation is, number one, anyone can battle depression. <laughs> Anyone can battle depression. If the hand of the Lord could be on Elijah in verse 46 of chapter 18 and Elijah be ready to give up and quit ministry by verse 4 of chapter 19, then you too and I too can struggle with depression. Elijah had been used by God when God, he, he had raised a widow's son from the dead. God had used him to see a resurrection happen. He, he had went on a mountain and called fire down from heaven and then slain all the false prophets. I mean, he had been used by God in mighty ways. He had announced the famine to happen, and because he said so, it happened. And then he announced, hey, now God, send rain. And God answers the prayer and sends rain. This was a man of God, had God's hand on his life. We see this in some of the great people of God, the Old Testament. In Numbers 11, Moses is depressed. He's overwhelmed. He asked to die. Why? He's overwhelmed by the ministry he's been given and the people and the complaining. And he's just, I can't manage it anymore. It's too much for me, God. And he's just overwhelmed by it. He's depressed. Jonah 4. Jonah gets depressed after preaching maybe the greatest revival in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, wrote a book called Lamentations. You think he was sad? In Jeremiah 20, he cursed the day he was born. This is the same guy that tells us in Jeremiah 1 that the Lord knew him in the womb. David seemed to battle depression at times and his battles with all the things that went on in his family and in his life. The, the psalmist, the other, the other psalms written by other people have some bouts with this. And, and, and Job certainly seems to have battled it in his troubles. One of the great preachers of the last few hundred years is a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He battled depression in his ministry and his book, Lectures to My Students, a book written for young preachers that he discipled, says this. He writes this. He says, fits of depression come over the most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise not always ready. The brave not always courageous. And the joyous not always happy. 
There may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no perceptible detriment, but surely the rust frets even these. And as for ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them to know that they are but dust. Translation Spurgeon says, even the best of us, even the best of us are gonna deal with this. Even those men that are are walking really close to the Lord and God seems to have his hand on them, any of us can struggle with depression. You're not weird if you've battled this. You're not alone in the battle. This is something anybody can struggle with. The second observation is depression is a fruit and not simply the root. It's, it's, it's linked to a cause. Even if the cause is medical in some way, it's linked to a cause. Why is Elijah depressed? Well, he's war-weary, for one thing, from battle. I mean, he's been pretty busy out there. And, and, then, and he's, he's, you know, there's been a famine in the land. He's walked this long. There's all kinds of stuff going on here. War-weary from battle. When he gets word from Jezebel, then he's threatened by this, by this Jezebel, this fierce enemy with a track record for keeping her threats. So he's afraid and he runs away. So there's fear at work. There's exhaustion at work. And then he likely had to deal with the guilt of running away. Imagine how that felt, felt after doing all this. Man, I'm God's man. And then he runs away and, he, and, he's, and he's probably dealing with the guilt of that too. And we see exhaustion and fear and hopelessness all at work right here in Elijah's life. And so it had a cause. It had things that led him that way. His root issue was not depression. Depression was an indicator. It's kind of like, and that's usually what's going on when someone battles with anxiety or depression. There are root issues, okay, that are causing this that we have to look into and try to discover. It's like, the, like you put a tea kettle on the oven. You, put, you hear the whistle going off, right? The whistle's going off because the water's boiling on the inside. And depression and anxiety and these sorts of things are just the whistle going off that something's going on on the inside that are causing these things. Many times that's how it works. And let me pause here and say sometimes that can be medically related. There are glandular reasons and brain chemistry reasons that you can feel depressed. And sometimes the root issue is medical and you need to get medical help. Just like if I had a problem with my heart, I said this last week, I'd go to a heart doctor. Right, if I break my leg, I'm gonna go to somebody and have them look at my leg. I'm not just gonna pray the broke leg away. And so there could be a medical reason and you might need to see a medical doctor or get professional help. There is no shame in that any more than there is shame in going to a heart doctor or to an emergency room with a broke leg. And we need to erase the stigma around that. We need to diagnose the why of depression though so that we can get the proper help. I mentioned Moses in Numbers 11. He's, he's depressed for different reasons. He's depressed because he's overwhelmed by the role of leadership and all the people he's having to manage, right? I mean, thousands upon thousands of people that he feels responsible for. He's like, oh my goodness. I mean, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. I can't, do, God, this is how I'm gonna be treated. I just, I just, rather, I, I just don't wanna do it anymore. I quit. He's overwhelmed. People can do that. Circumstances can do that. Leadership can do that. All those sort of things. You, so if you struggle with depression or going through a bout of that, it could be because you're just overwhelmed by the circumstances or other people or responsibilities. Jonah 4, Jonah, he goes and he preaches this great revival, right? But the problem is Jonah didn't want revival. He wanted judgment. He hated the people of Nineveh. So he preaches and God decides to deliver them and save them because they repent and God spares them. They're, even though they're wicked, he, he shows them grace. And Jonah's mad about it because Jonah, he's racist and he, and he hates them because they're, they're the enemy. They're not his people. They're not the Jewish people. He wanted God to judge them. So he goes and sits and pouts about it. He says, I'm so angry, God. I'm so angry I could die. And he just sits and he sulks. You could be deeply angry about something. You could, I almost understand this, 
I'm not saying this, you do. I'm saying it could be unrepented of sin in your life even. That's what, that was Jonah's issue. Elijah has an issue. Moses has a different issue. Jonah has a different issue. If we're battling a season of depression, we just got to figure out why. Like Jonah, do I have sin in my heart that I'm hanging on to? Am I angry with God? Am I bitter? Like Moses, am I overwhelmed with what's on my plate? Are there people that I'm overwhelmed with? Like Elijah, am I exhausted? Am I filled with fear and anxiety? Am I filled with the guilt for my past mistakes? Have I re- Here's another. Have I recently experienced a crisis, a trauma, or a health issue? And it may be something else altogether, but you have to ask the question because it's fruit and it's pointing to a root. You've got to figure out what that is. If you can't trace it to anything related to behavior or circumstances or any of that, or if you can't shake it, then by all means, see a doctor. And if you have any thoughts of harming yourself, skip that step and just go, see, go get help. It's, it's, it's gotten too far. You need, you, we need to get help if we get to that place. The third observation is depression leads to and is fueled by unhealthy thinking. It leads to and is fueled by unhealthy thinking. Elijah's thoughts are unhealthy. Negative, overly critical of himself. He's not thinking accurately. And if he's saying this to God, what in the world is he thinking to himself? Look at verse 4 of chapter 19. He says, it's enough, God. In other words, I'm done. <laughs> I think he's ready to quit. <laughs> I've had, I've had my fill of this. I'm ready to quit. Verse, then, then he goes on to say, take away my life. He's ready to be done with life altogether. He says, I'm not better than my fathers. I, I'm, just, I'm just horrible. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. His life has been characterized by victory and seeing God do great things. Yet he sums it up as I'm just a big loser. No better than anybody else. No better than my fathers before me. Verse 10, I, he, goes, he says, I even, I only am left of all. I'm the only one left that loves you. I'm the only one left that worships you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just the only godly person left on the planet. And that's not even true. It's a lie. It's not true. That's how he feels. He feels like he's the only one left. We're going to see in a minute. There's thousands left that haven't bowed the knee to bow. But when you are depressed or deeply discouraged, how you think and what you say to yourself are extremely important. And how he prays here reveals what he's thinking. Depression tends to lead to and then get fueled by the negative, unhealthy thoughts, like exaggerated thoughts, making things even worse than they are. We see that with Elijah. I'm the only one. Nobody loves me. I'm pathetic. I'm a loser. And by the way, once again, I'm going to say this throughout the message. If you or a friend's thoughts are so unhealthy that you would ever think of harming yourself, get help immediately. Don't pass go. Stop right there. Get help. But these, these thoughts of negative thoughts, and we just need to know that about ourselves, that if you go through a season of depression, you're thinking, you, can, you, you, you will be too hard on yourself, and you can get stuck in this cycle of thoughts that it will help keep you there. So how does God minister to him? We see this in the passage. We're going to read a little further here in a moment, but I want to, I want to give you five helps for battling depression that I see in this passage. The first one is, number one, if you're battling depression, it, 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 going through a season of depression, number one, take care of yourself physically. The first thing God does with him is he sends an angel to minister to him. Wow, wow, that's amazing. What's the angel going to do? What's the angel going to say? Eat and drink some water. Wow, amazing, right? Eat and drink some water, right? God addressed the physical immediately. Immediately, 
Eating right, exercising, sleeping well are not a quick fix for depression, by the way, but they can help, and studies show that they do help. That's science, and it's here how God treats him. Your body and soul, you are, you are body and soul and spirit. And then these things are like fused together. And we're called to live for God with all, with body, soul, and spirit. Worship God with all. And man, we, we are, all these things, man, they, they're connected in ways. And God has designed you a particular way. And he's placed you in a physical body that needs food and water and exercise and sleep. It needs all those things. And all those things remind you that you're not God. And sometimes the things we need most are very simple, very simple. It's like, I remember years ago, and I'd like to say this is the only time this ever happened in my life, but it's happened more than once. I remember years ago, going down the interstate, headed to church. I was in my early 20s, and a friend had just left my, my apartment. He happened to be behind me on the interstate, and I noticed my gas tank line was a little low. And I thought, well, I can make it to that exit where the church is, and I'll, I'll get gas after church. I'll just, didn't realize I was so low. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. And then I got to the exit and I died in the exit right there. Fortunately, my friend, you know, called him on his cell phone, pulls over, he said, get me in his truck, take me, you got to go get up. I think I had to buy a two liter and dump the two liter out, fill the two liter with, you know, all this stuff. Miss church, old nine yards, right? Because there's something real simple. I need a gas. And I could work on the motor or change the brakes or do spark plugs. And none of that was going to fix the real problem was, which I, I just, something really simple. I need gas in the tank. And God has made you to need food. He's made you to need sleep. He's made you to need exercise. And if you do a bunch of stuff and skip that, you still might find yourself on the side of the road wondering what went wrong with your vehicle, with yourself. I heard someone say once, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do, right? When, when you, I, don't, I just don't know what to do. Well, do the things you know to do, right? And that's where eating healthy and sleeping right and exercising play a role. Doctors will tell you that if you're struggling with depression, eat more vegetables, more fruit, and more whole grains and less junk food. You say, now, pastor, you're just meddling now. You're not preaching. Anymore. But they'll tell you that. Sleep, getting sleep. By the way, oversleep can be bad for you too, right? If your problem may be you sleep four hours a night or your problem may be you sleep 12 hours a day, you, you, just, you need balance and you need rest. God chose to rest on the seventh day, not because he was tired. To model for his image bearers that we too need a day off. And we need a day to rest. And exercise, this one's huge. Because we need rhythms and rest in our life. Let me read you a quote from the Harvest Health Publishing from Harvard, Harvard Medical School. Quote, high intensity exercise releases the body's feel-good chemicals called endorphins, resulting in the runner's high that joggers report. But for most of us, the real value is in low intensity exercise sustained over time. Some of you are like, no, that's me. Uh, that kind of activity spurs the release of proteins called neuro, excuse me, neurotrophic or growth factors, which cause nerve cells to grow and make new connections. And the improvement in brain function makes you, quote unquote, feel better. It's science, right? Now, Elijah's had plenty of exercise. God didn't tell him to go, and he's about to get more. That's not the point with Elijah. He's walked a long way, a day's journey. He's about to walk a lot further. The point is, though, he needed food and he needed sleep. But we might be dropping the ball in a myriad of areas. The most spiritual thing some of us in the room can do this morning is go home and take a nap after church. Or go to the gym. Or eat something that's good for you. 
We can't feed depression physically and try and beat it spiritually and expect that to turn out well. If you're struggling with depression, ask yourself, am I getting enough sleep? Am I eating too much? Am I eating, or am I eating not enough, not, enough, not eating the right things? Am I sleeping too much or am I not sleeping enough? What, what's going on? Am I exercising? When's the last time I moved my body other than to get into another chair? Like, all the, ask all those questions if you're battling depression because these things are important things. And if God thought the physical component was a big enough deal for the angel of the Lord to minister food to arresting Elijah, who are we to think that we don't need that component? Secondly, spend time with God. What Elijah needed most was to be with and to hear from God, and God knew this, and God began to minister to him immediately, we see. And then God chooses to meet with him on Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is where the Ten Commandments were given. This is a famous mountain uh, to the Jews, right? So this is, this is where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is where God did some mighty things, and so we're not told that Elijah's commanded to go there, but for some reason, he goes there looking for a miracle, right? And God meets with him there. And let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 19. God says to him, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold... There came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets in the, with a sword. And I, even I only am left, and they, they seek my life to take it away. So wind, earthquake, fire, all of these are mighty things, right? They display what things that God is capable of. They display his power. They show what God can do on a large scale, his glory. Yet God reveals himself in the low whisper in this passage. And Bible scholars will tell you that Elijah was likely looking for God to do something big, right? He's not satisfied with the way things have been. All this has happened and still there's a threat against my life, right? So he goes to Mount Horeb where God does great big mighty things, right? Where the Ten Ten Commandments happened, all that kind of stuff. Looking for God to do something big and God does all this big stuff and God says, but I'm gonna reveal myself to you in this small way. Because God is revealing to him that he's going to continue his work among his people in a very ordinary means through simply anointing another prophet and the anointing of kings. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And he needed to remember God is not just in the big but in the small, not just in the extraordinary but the ordinary. God doesn't just work in the astounding but in the mundane, normal ins and outs of daily life as well. And the normal cycles of life like the anointing of prophets and the anointing of kings in the Old Testament, not just fire from heaven. And in the midst of depression, Elijah needed God and he needed to know that God was still working in his life. And, in it, and, and here he, he learns something to help him move forward. God, God gives him information to, to help him move forward. And, and we learn here that God can work and can speak to us in the midst of depression. You can, you can get to know God better even in the midst of depression, even, even there. He speaks still through his word. It could be that what you need is not God to shoot a comment across the sky that says, I love you, I'm at work, so be encouraged, but rather to get in the word of God, to pray and to spend time with God and be reminded that he's still at work in the routine and in the small and even in the daily quiet time. See, we always need margin in our life to get along with God. We fight depression on our knees with our Bibles open. 
And the temptation will be to drown ourselves in television and social media and other things that can help feed depression but will not deliver you from it. We need a word from God and the word of God to sustain us in our darkest days. Look with me at verse 15 at the words Lord to Elijah. Chapter 19, verse 15. And the Lord said to him, said to Elijah, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be the king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. I would like a ribbon for just attempting to say those names. Verse 17, and the one who escapes from the sword of Azel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. Number three, challenge and correct your unhealthy thinking. Challenge and correct your unhealthy thinking. Elijah says, I'm the only one left, God. Everyone else worships Baal. But God says, I'm going to leave 7,000 in Israel who have not worshipped Baal, the ones that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Oops, he's off just by a few. Not just one left. There's 7,000 left. And then God, and Elijah, you know, remember? It's enough. I'm done. I'm no better than my fathers. I quit. God says, I'm not through with you. You're going to go do, do these things. And you're going to go and you're going to do these things. You see, the way we challenge our false thoughts is with truth from God's word. And we meet with God around his word. And God will challenge the falsehoods and the lies that we've believed and spoken to ourselves. It's like uh, these thoughts are like having a virus. Okay? And whether you have a virus in your body, a physical virus, or a virus on your computer, you don't just leave it there because it only gets worse. You have to treat it, right? You have to attack the virus. And so you attack the virus of these false thoughts, incorrect thinking, bad theology, you name it, with truth. Because virus unchecked spreads. And we need to preach truth to ourselves, too. God here is preaching the truth to him. And he's revealing to him truth. And he's revealing to him direction. He's, giving, he's, he's pushing him in a direction. We're going to see that in a minute. But he's revealing truth here, too. You're not the only one. And I'm not done with you. And we need to preach the truth to ourselves. David did this. Let me read to you from Psalm 42. When he was feeling depressed, Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, with Elijah, we see God rebuking and encouraging him with the truth. With David, we see him addressing himself, preaching to himself, that he needs to hope in God. And then David reminds him of the simple truth. God is my salvation and God is my God. Our God. Because we can hope in God because of who he is. He is our salvation if we're in Christ. He is our God. He's our only hope. And not just a God. He's our God. We know him, love him. He knows and loves us. See, our feelings are not always facts. And we must address our feelings with truth. We must preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves who we are in Jesus. You might have a thought like, well, I'm a loser and I can never get it right. And if you're in Christ, know you are a child of God. And while, yes, you sin, Jesus makes you right with God. You are in Jesus and he has declared you righteous. Nobody loves me. No, God loves me more than I can imagine. And the cross proves it. I have no true friends. 
Nobody I can trust, but in Christ we have a friend who's closer than a brother. I'm a failure. And I'm in Christ, who rose from the dead, defeated sin, death, and hell. And the Bible says that in him, I'm more than a conqueror. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a failure. I'm not a loser. I'm a victorious child of God, hidden in Christ in heavenly places. You have to challenge and correct thoughts in the midst of this. We, we, have to, we can't allow our thoughts to go unchecked. And fourthly, we need to pursue God's purpose by faith. Pursue God's purpose for you by faith. See, depression's crippling, and it will make you feel like you can't move forward, and then you won't move forward. And, but you notice what God did? He gave Elijah something to do. He gave him something to do. He refocused him. He tells him, anoint Hazel, king of Syria, Right? Anoint Jehu, king of Israel. Anoint Elisha as your successor. Now what happens, how it plays out, is he goes and anoints Elisha first. Elisha will end up anointing the two kings because ultimately, Elijah disappears into heaven in a whirlwind. I mean, it's like one of the most amazing stories. But God just, okay. And then so he got anoints, he, he anoints Elisha and then Elisha goes and does the other two. Kind of indirectly anoints these kings, you could say. But he begins to pursue God's purpose that God has given him. God tells him that judgment's going to come from these kings and that he will spare 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. God is telling him how victory is ultimately going to come, how this is going to play out, how he's going to show himself God over Israel. Remember, his name means the Lord is God. That's his anthem. And Elisha left that moment with a clear purpose and he could have confidence that God would do what he said. He's seen God do it before and now he knows what God's doing, what God's gonna do. And listen, it's hard to move forward when we don't know where we're going. It's hard to move forward, whether in depression or life in general, if we don't know where we're going. You know, I'm bad about this. One of my wife's pet peeves is that I'll get in the car, we'll get in the car and I'll just start driving. So we'll get in the car to go somewhere to eat. We haven't decided where to eat. And so I just start driving. She's like, where are we going? Steve, where? I don't know. I thought we might go to so and so. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Well, it's the other way. Well, I'll turn around. Well, we could have had this conversation in the driveway, right? <laughs> so, but I just, I just got to, let's just go. I mean, well, that's, you know, but, you know, wasting some time and some gas when you do it that way. But we, we need direction. We need to know where we're going. And God's word gives us direction of where God wants to take us and what he wants us to pursue and to fight depression and discouragement. We need to be reminded while we're here, where we're going, what God's called us to, what God's promised to ultimately do. Then we need to live life confident that God will do his will and accomplish his purposes. Listen, you and I all have a reason we are here. I don't mean some great big destiny of getting your 15 moments of fame that it seems some people want to, want to proclaim. I'm talking about... God has created you and saved you for the purpose of knowing him, knowing Christ, growing in Christ, and sharing Christ. And everything else is toppings, okay? And whether that's at home or whether it's at work, that's what's playing out in your life. Knowing Christ, growing and becoming more like Christ, sharing Christ with people because ultimately I'm going to be with Christ, and made like Christ. That's the big picture of what God's doing in the life of every believer. And we need to be reminded of that truth when we go through difficult times and we don't know what to do or we're depressed and we don't feel like we can see God, feel God. We, just need, to, we need to know that we can go to God's word and we can see there, man, 
I can know Christ. I can pursue Christ. God is working even in this to make me like Christ. I need to be sharing Christ, serving Christ. We can only begin to live out and discover how God wants to use us in the little daily things in life, the ins and outs of our careers and our families, when we first embrace that calling. Because everything else is subordinate to that. And the last thing, last thing here is this. Don't do life alone. That's number five. Don't do life alone. God tells him, you're going to anoint a successor, Elisha. Then at the end of the passage, we didn't read it, but he goes and he finds Elisha. He throws his cloak over him, symbolizing his anointing of him, I believe. And Elijah, you know, quits what he's doing and he just goes, pursues, hanging out, learning from Elijah. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, 21, then he, Elisha, rose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Or some translation said, served him. You might remember at the beginning of the passage, when he enters into his depression, he left his servant. We don't know if there's some fallen out or if he just wanted to be alone, whatever. Leaves his servant, goes off by himself. By the end of it, God's given him a buddy. Because life is not meant to be lived alone. And yeah, he's, God could have done it in such a way, could have orchestrated it in such a way that these two people's paths never crossed and then God chooses, but he, he chooses to put them together for a season. Life is not meant to be lived alone. Depression is isolating. It puts you on an island. And if you're not careful, you'll let it keep you there and you'll grow to get very comfortable on the island. That's not where life's meant to be lived. You, don't, you aren't meant to live that way and you need friends and you need community and you need family and friends and church and all those things. You need people. We can't do life alone. So those are just five basic principles. When you look at this passage, probably any good counselor would give you those things and more. But they're right there in 1 Kings 19. Now listen, depression is very real. And you may be in it. You may have come out of it. You may go into it. You may have a friend in it. And it's various levels. There's clinical depression. There's spiritual depression. There's, there's seasons of just deep discouragement that might not actually be defined as depression. But we, we go through stuff in this life. And we need to learn to spot it and see it and know what's going on in our minds and our hearts and our bodies so that we can walk with God in it. And once again, and if we need help professionally, that's okay. Get it. Life is too important and you are too valuable. And God is too at work in our lives for us to not get help when we need help. You know, I mentioned earlier Elijah's name. The Lord is God is what it means. Story of his life, story of his ministry. If you step back and look at Elijah's life, it revolves around three mountains. Everything we know about Elijah in the, in the Bible revolves around three mountains. On Mount Carmel, it's, it's the pinnacle. It's the Super Bowl of his life at that point. Calls fire down from heaven, kills the prophets of Baal, calls for rain, and it rains. All these amazing things that he experienced on Carmel. But he also experienced the valley of depression. Not just this mountain of success. And in the valley of depression, there too, he learned that the Lord is God. When he went to Mount Horeb, and the God who sent fire also whispered in his ear, and the God who sent fire also gave him new direction, and the Lord is always God. No matter what season we're in, whether we're up on the mountain and God seems to be doing amazing things in our life, or whether we're down in the valley and it just seems like nothing's going right, his name still meant the Lord is God, and God was still God. And we see these amazing things happen in his life around these two mountains, and the good news is that the Lord who is God has become a man in Jesus. And he has suffered 
for our sins, been betrayed and been forsaken. Jesus, who the Bible tells, he's greater than Elijah. One who is greater than Elijah is here, and he went to another mountain called Golgotha, and he laid down his life so that you and me can can know God, yes, on the mountaintop of joy, but also in the valley of depression and every hill in between. Jesus went to the mountain so you and I, so he can be with you and I in the valley. And that's the good news of the gospel. And so he can lead us through the valley, even the valley of the shadow of death. And I was reminded this week by Pastor Tony Merida of the third mountain in Elijah's life. I almost forgot it. The final mountain in Elijah's life is in the New Testament. The Mount of Transfiguration, where he stands on a mountain with Moses and talks to Jesus and sees Jesus in all of his glory. You remember the story? It's when Peter speaks up and says, hey, let's build a temple for everybody. And God says, hush, and listen to Jesus. He's my son. That's the final mountain we see there. And there he beheld Jesus in all his glory. And every single one of us who have looked on Jesus in faith at Golgotha, at Calvary, will one day look on him in all of his glory as Elijah did. And that is good news in every valley. That ultimately, that's how the story is. And that should be fuel for our faith in mountains and valleys and everywhere in between. Let's pray.